Welcome to our podcast, Oncology Morning Commute, from HER2 to TROPE2, Evolving Targeted Therapies for Breast Cancer. Morning Commute is developed in collaboration with That Point of Care and Projects and Knowledge and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals and Daiichi Sanko, Incorporated. In this episode, Dr. Tiffany Trena and Dr. Neil Iyengar continue their discussion of antibody drug conjugates. They look beyond targeting HER2 and review data on the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer, HER2 low expressing breast cancer, and the emerging data on TROPE2 and HER3 as new targets for therapy. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash solid tumors two. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Trena is Vice Chair of Oncology Care in the Department of Breast Medicine Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. Iyengar is an Associate Attending Physician, also in the Department of Breast Medicine Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. I am Candace Hoffman, Managing Editor of Morning Commute. Dr. Iyengar will begin our discussion. Welcome to our second podcast on antibody drug conjugates and breast cancer. I'm happy to welcome back Dr. Tiffany Trena. Uh, and today we're going to continue our discussion uh, with a focus on advanced and metastatic breast cancers. Uh, why don't we start off a little bit um, going back to the concept of what an antibody drug conjugate is. We talked about this a little bit in the setting of, of HER2 positive breast cancer, uh, but I think this will be uh, helpful to remind ourselves how an ADC works. Dr. Trina, could you comment on this? Oh, I'd be happy to. Thanks so much, Dr. Iyengar. So I think from our sort of clinical practice and standards of care over the years, we've been familiar with antibody drug conjugates like TDM1 and more recently, trastuzumab, deruxtecan. And these have transformed the treatment of HER2-positive breast cancer, both in the metastatic setting and early stage setting. And so I do think it's worth um, spending a moment or two talking about what that construct looks like. So an antibody drug conjugate, as I think of, has three components to it. The first is the humanized monoclonal antibody. And so we've had bland antibodies treat breast cancer before, and that's what trastuzumab is targeting HER2. And with just a bland antibody, you know, that has the ability to activate natural killer cells and complement, and it can modify intracellular signaling. So just the bland antibody by itself can have some activity. And the properties that you think about for the antibody or what is its target, you want to have a target that's highly expressed and, and differentially expressed. So you want more of that target on a cancer cell than on your normal cells as we think about minimizing risk and benefit. Um, what we're coming to learn is that that particular target may be oncogenic, but it doesn't have to be oncogenic. I, I think of it as like a mailbox on the side of a house. Right? It just has to be there to accept or receive the mail, accept or receive the antibody to that target, but the target itself does not need to be oncogenic. So the second piece of the ADC is the linker. And these um, can be classified as either cleavable linkers or non-cleavable linkers. They can be peptide or disulfide bond linkers. And so there are ways that you can differentiate an, an antibody drug conjugate 
just by the um, development of that linker and the properties of that linker. And then the third piece and differentiator is the actual payload. So what is attached to that antibody? And these payloads are traditionally in our experience lately, cytotoxic agents. Um, hopefully they're non-cross resistant. Um, many times what we've seen is the antibody, the, the payload in that ADC may not have been tolerable if it was given directly as cytotoxic chemotherapy intravenously, but when you can use just a few molecules and attach that to an antibody and directly deliver it to the cancer cell, you're able to have a much more desirable safety profile. Um, so it, it also lets us know that there are lots of agents that may have been studied in the past that failed due to safety concerns that might be revisited as a payload where you can have sort of a high drug to antibody ratio as we've seen some of our approved drugs have ratios as high as you know eight molecules of chemotherapy on one antibody or four molecules on one antibody. So these are the way I think about ADCs and those three um, unique components and something that we'll look at as we talk about the different ADCs in development. What a fantastic overview and and um, great way of thinking about how these how these drugs work. I think it's also really exciting the point you made about um, the potential for uh, reviving cytotoxic drugs that uh, we hadn't really thought about before because of their safety issues. So very exciting. Um, why don't we shift with a focus on triple negative breast cancer uh, and how the ADCs are coming into play here, but. Let's start a little more broadly, um, Dr. Trena, and, and if you can uh, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges uh, in the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer, uh, especially when some of our targeted agents are just simply not options here, and some of the characteristics that might be helpful when um, characterizing TNBC and matching the appropriate treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, happy to touch on this. This is an area dear to my heart. My clinical practice is largely women with triple negative breast cancer, and it's a focus of my research program. And I think every, everyone out there caring for women with triple negative breast cancer, you know, wishes that we had more therapeutic options available, wishes that we, we had drugs like the HER2 positive space or even the ER positive space, because there have been such tremendous benefits when you have a target. Um, and a drug that effectively works against that target. The term triple negative breast cancer is really a big catch-all basket term of tumors that just didn't meet the criteria of estrogen and progesterone expression or HER2 amplification or overexpression. But it really hasn't spoken to the biology of all the subtypes of triple negative that might be out there. And so when I approach a woman who's diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, and I'm doing air quotes while we're talking, I really find that I immediately need to also qualify what other biomarkers do I know about their germline status, their tumor status, to be able to start thinking about what therapies may be of benefit for them. So reflexively, if I hear triple negative breast cancer, I immediately want to know a patient's germline BRCA1 or BRCA2 status because that information is actionable. We have FDA-approved PARP inhibitors such as elaparib and talazoparib for patients who have germline-associated BRCA1 or 2-associated breast cancer. And those have shown survival advantage. Elaparib has shown 
you know, survival advantage when used in the first line setting for someone with a germline BRCA1 or 2 mutation. The next biomarker that I think is really mandatory to know is PDL1 status. And this is critical when we're thinking about a treatment plan for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. You know, the original PDL1 testing that we did was SP142, and that was a companion diagnostic for atezolizumab. And those patients who had PDL1 greater than 1% by that assay were eligible for atezolizumab plus uh, taxing chemotherapy. Um, as we all know, the FDA and um, sponsors have kind of withdrawn the development of atezolizumab in the first-line setting for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Um, however, we do have approval for the use of pembrolizumab in patients in the first-line setting with a metastatic triple negative breast cancer that test pdl one positive. Um, but this assay, this companion diagnostic, is a CPS score. It's using 22C3 and a CPS of 10% or greater is considered positive. So I need to qualify when I think triple negative breast cancer. I want to know what is the PDL1 status. And I also need to specify by which assay and exactly what was the percent cutoff. Because we've seen data recently that it is truly the subset of patients with a CPS of 10% or greater that drive benefit from pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy. I think other biomarkers that I look at to qualify my TNBC diagnosis is somatic tumor sequencing, because we're always looking for those potential mutations that might be actionable, like NTRAC alterations or high tumor mutation burden that might allow for use of single agent checkpoint inhibitor. Um, although we look for these things quite a bit, their expression or their presence in triple negative breast cancer tends to be pretty uncommon. Um, and so our shared experience, unfortunately, is searching for all these targets, but many times being faced with a treatment decision for a patient where we're often left with cytotoxic chemotherapy, um, which often feels inadequate. That was so helpful, Dr. Trina. Thank you for that um, overview. I think that as we start to see newer drugs coming down the pipeline, and we also start to think about biomarkers to identify patients that are potentially eligible for the drugs, uh, this field becomes a lot more complicated as we also introduce the various assays um, for evaluating these biomarkers. So that overview was, was really helpful. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting that we can think about um, targetable um, markers like PDL1, for example. But as we shift to some of the antibody drug conjugates, um, some of these uh, targets uh, may not be as, as measurable. And I think um, we can start with trope two, for example. Could you tell us a little bit about what trope two is? How, how is it a target? And is it something we should be looking for? Uh, and how this might um, impact uh, treatment. Absolutely. Happy to talk about this. This has really transformed um, our options for patients with advanced metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So trope 2 is actually highly, highly expressed on epithelial cells. And so particularly in triple negative breast cancer, but there's actually also great trope 2 expression in hormone receptor positive breast cancer. Um, and where we're finding great significance, remember I said the 
target in an antibody drug conjugate does not necessarily need to be oncogenic. Um, that's really the story with trope two. So it is highly expressed in epithelial cells and epithelial malignancies like triple negative breast cancer. And it is the target for the antibody drug conjugate sasituzumab govotecan. Um, sasituzumab govotecan is a humanized antibody drug conjugate. It is targeting trope two and it is linked with a payload SN38, which is actually um, sort of the active metabolite of a renotecan. And so this ADC has been studied in phase one in many solid tumors and had really exciting early signal in breast cancer and in triple negative breast cancer. And recently, based on the results of the ASCENT trial, um, which was a randomized phase three study, We've actually seen accelerated approval by the FDA and now a regular approval as recently as April of last year, allowing for its use in the second line setting. Um, so I'm happy to do a bit of a deeper dive if, if we've got the time to just sort of set the stage of what that ascent trial looked like. Yeah, that would be great. I think this is uh, such an exciting development in, in the treatment of TNBC. If you could take us through the ascent trial, uh, I think that would be very helpful. Oh, sure. Happy, happy to. So the ASCENT study randomized about 500 women with metastatic triple negative breast cancer who had seen um, two or more prior lines of chemotherapy. And one of those could have been in the adjuvant setting. And this was a really heavily pretreated population, a median of four prior lines of therapy. Um, many of these, everyone had seen prior taxane. Most of these women had seen prior anthracycline and alkylator and capecitabine and platinum. So really reflecting that heavily pretreated population that we have in advanced TNBC. The study randomized these women to sasituzumab as a single agent or treatment of physician's choice chemotherapy, which was either capecitabine, aribulin, gemcitabine, or vinarelbine. So again, our typical agents that we reach for. And what was super exciting to see, you know, the primary endpoint of this study was progression-free survival, and sasituzumab was really superior with a 5.6-month medium progression-free survival as compared to 1.7 months with treatment of physician's choice chemotherapy. So that was about a 60% improvement in PFS with the antibody drug conjugate. Even more exciting was not only PFS improvement and response rate improvements, but there was a significant overall survival advantage, nearly a doubling in overall survival to more than 12 months with sasituzumab from about six and a half months with treatment of physician's choice chemotherapy. So highly effective. And that benefit was seen in the overall intention to treat population, which did include some patients that had stable treated brain meds, um, also an unmet need in TNBC. Um, I think that what is super exciting is not only the benefit that we see in using this drug, but some data that has emerged more recently that trope 2 expression is not a necessary biomarker for selection and use of sasituzumab. So because trope 2 is just so widely expressed in triple negative breast cancer, um, there was a subset analysis looking at trope 2 low versus trope 2 medium expression versus trope 2 high expression. And in each of those categories, sasituzumab outperformed treatment of physician's choice. So we actually do not need to be testing for trope 2. Um, it is not a companion diagnostic. And this is a drug that works really in all comer triple negative breast cancer. 
And I think that's really just so rewarding because our patients are with triple negative breast cancer are so accustomed to hearing that they lack a biomarker. Um, this is just widely active regardless of presence of trope two. What a great summary of the data. Thank you for that. Um, and I think that's such an important point you make about uh, trope two expression, certainly a question that, that we get asked a lot um, and so important um, when, when choosing whether or not to treat with sasetuzumab. So uh, helpful to know that that's not a factor. Could you tell us a little bit about the sasetuzumab uh, related toxicities? Yes, great point, right? There's always a risk benefit balance in thinking about this. This is important. So, you know, the main side effects with sasetuzumab are risk of diarrhea. And um, fortunately, the level of grade three diarrhea is less than what we would expect to see from arenotecan, but that is still one of our more common adverse events seen. So it does require education, setting expectation, making sure our patients have some Imodium in the house. Um, and communicating with the care team and the nurses in practice so that we can really dose modify as necessary and offer the right kind of supportive care for diarrhea. The other more common adverse event are cytopenias and neutropenia. Um, and so this is an antibody drug conjugate dosed two weeks in a row and then one week off. Um, there is the option and ability to use growth factor as needed to help support those counts there are clear dose modification and dose reduction strategies as well. You know, and I wonder if what we're seeing with the degree of cytopenia is also a function of the population that was in the ASCENT trial. I mentioned there was a median of four prior lines of treatment. Remember that often these patients with high-risk triple negative breast cancer have seen anthracycline, alkylator, taxane, maybe capecitabine, maybe platinum, all in the adjuvant setting. So these are patients that are heavily pretreated, and that might also be a component of cytopenia risk. Great. These are really helpful points for, for management. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we've all gotten very good at, or hopefully gotten very good at managing diarrhea these days. Mm -hmm. um, now, let's move on, if we can, to another uh, trope 2 targeting agent, um, and specifically uh, DATO DXD. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this um, newer agent? And I think we have earlier phase data um, from the Tropion series of trials, uh, specifically the PAN-Tumor-01 trial. Yeah, happy to talk about this. So if we consider the features of an ADC that I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, um, that's how I'll define DATO-DXD. So the monoclonal antibody here is targeting trope 2 and it uses the linker um, and payload construct of trastuzumab deruxtecan, an ADC that you spoke about so beautifully in podcast one, um, and that is FDA approved for the treatment of HER2 positive advanced breast cancer. So you can think of it as almost a hybrid of the TDXD version of sasetuzumab, if you will. Um, so these data for DATO DXD were presented um, from a phase one study that had an expansion cohort of about 40 patients with triple negative breast cancer. And so remember in, in the phase one population, these are generally patients who have seen several lines of prior chemotherapy in this particular study. Um, more than 70% of patients had had three or more prior lines of treatment. And actually about almost 10% of these patients had prior sasetuzumab. So that's interesting, right? These are folks that had a treatment that targeted the same target, 
but have a different payload, right? Um, so in this study, patients just received single agent Dato DXD. And what was really impressive was an overall response rate of about 43%. Um, and when you look at what was the proportion of complete response and partial response, about a quarter of the patients on study had a CR or PR. And nearly every patient in the phase one in this cohort had some degree of disease control rate. So either objective response or prolonged stable disease, the disease control rate was around 95%. So, you know, early times, early signal, but I think what gives us great enthusiasm is putting together what we've seen from stasituzumab, seeing the benefit of targeting trope two, added to the real power of efficacy that we've seen from this linker and payload combination in the HER2 positive space with trastuzumab deruxtecan. So while this was just a phase one study of 40 patients, I think it's really encouraging efficacy data. And we expect, I think we expect big things in the subsequent studies that are to come. That's really exciting. And, and were, were there any uh, particular or unique toxicity signals from this early data? Oh, sure. That's a, that's a great point as we're trying to compare agents. So um, if we think about how does it compare to other antitrope 2 ADCs, in this phase one, there were no um, grade three diarrhea or neutropenia events, but it does have a unique different side effect profile. Um, interestingly, there was about 13% grade three stomatitis or mucositis, right? So something different that we, we don't typically see so much with the other ADCs, um, something that we are experienced in managing from our use of other, you know, TKIs and, and targeted therapies. So uh, definitely need to be aware of stomatitis risk. There was about 4% grade three fatigue and um, also a, a rare about 4% experience with grade three anemia. But in general, a, a well-tolerated antibody drug conjugate and we hope to see more. Actually, there's um, a first-line study, randomized first-line study that is launching soon, looking at Dato DXD in the first-line setting for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer, irrespective um, of trope 2 status. So that's something to watch out for, as well as um, a clinical trial looking at Dato DXD in hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. So uh, this is something to keep an eye on. Very exciting, um, mm -hmm. very exciting. So, you know, we have a few minutes left and we've been talking about triple negative breast cancer, um, but I think uh, it, it, it's also important that we, we talk uh, about a new sort of subgroup that we're all starting to recognize, right? And that's HER2 mm -hmm. low expressing breast cancers. Um, could you tell us a little bit yeah. about this, this subgroup and some of the active agents for this group? Oh, absolutely. I, I think our language is becoming quite complicated and uh, it, it there may be a day where we're not able to just use the shorthand of triple negative breast cancer. We really need to be more precise. So not unlike in the ER positive world where we are now describing an ER low subgroup of one to 9%, um, we are starting to carve out a definition around a HER2 low subgroup of patients. And these are um, tumors that test either one plus by IHC or two plus for HER2, but lack amplification on fish. So uh, somebody that we would have previously just called HER2 negative, 
I think now we need to be explicit and define, are we talking about HER2 zero, HER2 one plus, or HER2 two plus? And the reason for this is because if we look back to trastuzumab deruxtecan, the antibody drug conjugate that targets HER2, we've seen in some early studies that there was a signal of activity with TDXD in tumors that were testing HER2 one plus or two plus. And this was actually um, quite provocative. So the HER2 low category, whether ER positive or ER negative, had a response rate ranging from about 33% upwards of 54% in those that were hormone receptor negative HER2 low. So that's really intriguing. And, and the thinking is that, again, you need enough expression of a target for that antibody to bind. And then if you then have a cleavable linker and a payload that's able to diffuse around, you get a little bit of bystander effect and you can have activity you know, in a tumor that otherwise really doesn't have HER2 positivity by our traditional definition. So this early observation that our colleague, Dr. Modi has presented on previously actually inspired um, randomized trial, Destiny Breast 04. And that's a randomized study of TDXD versus treatment of physician's choice in patients with HER2 low metastatic breast cancer, either in the second or third line setting. And also building on that idea that HER2 low may be enough for efficacy for TDXD, there's another study called Destiny Breast 08. That is for patients with HER2 low tumors, and it's looking at combinations of trastuzumab deruxtecan with either targeted therapies like capivacertib or IO agents like Duvalimab or other cytotoxics like TDXD plus capecitabine. Um, so a lot of interesting work going on in this space and something to keep an eye on because we may now need to say, instead of TNBC, really discuss and describe in your notes and as you think about your patients, what are their biomarkers? What's the degree of ER? What's the degree of HER2? How are you testing it? What's their PDL one What's their germline status? What other somatic mutations are there? What's their AR status? So that we can start to paint a picture of what therapeutic options do we have for these patients. Really exciting and, and, and so important to start to really differentiate our, our clinical populations um, mm -hmm. like that as we, as we start to see these trials in these specific groups. Uh, and maybe uh, in our last minute or two, you could briefly mention um, HER3. We haven't really talked about HER3. Um, are, there, are there drugs coming down the pipeline? Are we looking at trials targeting this uh, member of the HER family? Yeah, definitely we are. So HER3 actually has a role in tumorigenesis, as you mentioned also nicely in podcast one, um, HER2 often dimerizes with HER3. And so it is important for then triggering downstream signaling within, within the cancer cell. Um, and so there are antibodies targeting HER3 um, with drug conjugates. And one that has been in study is U3-1402 or Petritumab, Petritumab, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing these right. It's kind of a mouthful. But this is a drug actually that we've studied in um, breast cancer, both in triple negative breast cancer and in hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And it is even further along in lung cancer as well. So looking at HER3 as a potential important target is definitely ongoing. 
And there are other antibody drug conjugates as well in TNBC that are in development like LIV-1 um, and even Infortumab Vidotin that's targeting Nectin-4. So I think this idea of antibody drug conjugates is really here to stay and creates so many opportunities when you think about the different ways that we could differentiate by target and by linker and by payload. Very interesting. Uh, and, and let's put this all together. Um, this You've really outlined some very helpful and useful data here. So when you're thinking about selecting agents for, for your patients, um, how do you select patients for your agents? Maybe you could give us a little bit of a uh, a, a, of a algorithm uh, as best you can, although mm. things are changing rapidly, or how you treat your patients with with TNBC or any of these subtypes. Oh, sure, yeah, that's a little bit complicated these days. But I guess we have to keep in mind what drugs our patients saw in the early stage setting. And these days, with Keynote five two two, a lot of these high risk patients with TNBC would have seen ACT carbo pembrolizumab, um, and then possibly even in the adjuvant setting, additional pembrolizumab and maybe capecitabine. So understanding what their disease-free interval is and tempo of their disease is important. Um, but when I'm faced with a patient with metastatic TNBC in the first-line setting, I want to know their pdl one status and their germline BRCA status. Um, for those patients that are pdl one positive, my, uh, my approach is getting them a checkpoint inhibitor, getting them pembrolizumab, in combination with chemotherapy. Um, we know data suggests that using that checkpoint inhibitor earlier um, has greater benefit. Although what we really don't know now is how, how a checkpoint inhibitor in the first line setting is going to behave if a patient saw adjuvant pembrolizumab. So that's a big unanswered question right now. Um, but generally my first line treatment would be checkpoint inhibitor plus taxane or platinum for those patients with pdl one positive tumors. If they are pdl one negative, our first line setting, I mean, honestly, a clinical trial is always appropriate. Um, otherwise, first line is cytotoxic chemotherapy, often taxane or platinum. Um, it is worth noting if that patient has a germline BRCA mutation, I'm reaching for a PARP inhibitor in that first line setting because I think I mentioned earlier the um, subset analysis of Olympia, of Olympiad, excuse me, of Olaparib when used in the first line setting for patients with germline mutations was associated with an overall survival advantage. Once we get past first line, I find that I'm reaching for sasituzumab earlier. Its indication is in the second line setting if patients saw adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, and so sasituzumab is often coming in there in that second line space. Um, again, obviously, clinical trials are encouraged because we still have a long way to go in improving outcomes here. Um, and I would really strongly urge somatic testing to find those potentially actionable mutations to help even prioritize one trial over another. Um, but I would say that that's, that's sort of my approach to date. Obviously, I'm, we're also really invested in research in the androgen receptor and triple negative breast cancer. And at our institution, we routinely test for AR and have clinical trials for patients with AR positive TNBC as well. Wow, that was such an incredible synthesis of, of all of the emerging data and uh, treatment uh, approach for, for your patients. Thank you so much for taking us through that. I know I certainly learned a lot from your overview and, um, and, the, and the trials that you highlighted here. Uh, it's been such a pleasure hearing from you, Dr. Trina, and uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. 
Uh, I hope everyone was able to take away some knowledge from uh, the great points that Dr. Trina made. Uh, and thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash solid tumors two. Look for all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services. Thank you.